Um, there's this popular saying that says, you are only one person away from a thousand people. And that person is another step away from a million people. You get it. So knowing just one person open up my and network to a lot of other people. In Ghana, the kids are raised to be seen but not heard. Um, so the title of the podcast um, is an interesting one. The title is honestly, I don't know. Spelled in a very weird way, and <laughs> if you're already listening to this, you probably have seen the spelling. And the name came about because I was, you know, thinking very hard, racking my brain to come up with a very nice and good Dope title. Name, huh? Dope name, but like, honestly, you know, a friend of mine asked, "What's the title of it?" Like, honestly, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's a cool name because I mean, we are all still naive about a lot of things, and we are learning and growing and coming up that's together. True. So, it would be a really fitting title. <laughs> Um, for the meantime, or I mean, it could catch on and stay at that forever. So yeah, that's how the title came about, or the name of the podcast came about. Um, I am Emmanuel Denchi, uh, co-founder, Lyman Ani, and the host of the podcast. And today with me, I have a very interesting guest with me, a close friend in the creative industry, Joshua Cleopas. Um, yeah, so would you mind introducing yourself for the crowd? Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Manuel. It's always difficult to introduce yourself, you know. Sometimes <laughs> you think it's easy to talk about things you're so proud of, but people have no idea. So for the regulars, I would say uh, I'm also in the creative industry. I run a small company called Vomo Studio. It's basically a full-service um, studio. We provide graphic designing, branding, uh, filmmaking services, which is definitely a primary objective most of the time. That's where most of our, our input goes to, because that's obviously where most of the money comes from. So it's, <laughs> it's the part where we enjoy to do the most. But you're looking to sort of uh, spread our wind wide and just to sort of enjoy the process of creating beautiful things here in Ghana. But yeah, that's a little about myself. Cool. So I guess we won't, we won't waste much time. So nope. we'll just die right in die so right in the topic we are starting with your network is your net worth that is what i want us to be talking about today because i realize looking back um coming up as a young creative in this industry it's it's mostly or some parts about the very good work that you do but also a whole background or another aspect to it is like the people or the close community that you find yourself in yeah. that would help you grow and also you know help you get Absolutely. into certain yeah. spaces as well yeah. so i feel like that would be like an interesting topic it, it, to, it is it is yeah so would you want to give an opener of like what do you think about the topic like what well, do you want people to your do? network is your yeah. net worth i think it's a very universal it's a very universal philosophy mm -hmm. Because, I mean, looking back into the days where human beings were not transacting with money, mm -hmm. they were literally all siding with the powerful people. So if you had power, it could be in terms of capacity, human like population mm -hmm. or strength or whatever. And if you know a strong person, you are, you are just as strong as the person you know. So yeah. I think even back in the days, I mean, if you had a Goliath in your team, you were good because you were in a network 
of someone like yeah, that. Yeah. And and if you had a David, you were you were screwed <laughs> <laughs> until until the Bible twisted the storyline. But I guess that's all part of it. But currently, mm-hmm. I would say both of us were quite were quite privileged to mm-hmm. have to have come from a background like Hilltop. Yeah. where we had very diversified groups of people mm-hmm. in that community you saw very rich people yeah at a very early age kids who had lunch boxes painted barbies and were <laughs> eating three times a day with apples and grapes as as uh, in between meals mm-hmm. so i think it, it, it really did open our eyes to having a good connect and going forward to pepper college is also great because i mean the country every every big person's son has to come to pepper college or or any other schools like that. So I think yeah. from that point too, we really did connect with uh, other valuable people. Even to today in my life, there are still a lot of people that I are sort of connected with mm-hmm. and from school. And going forward into university, that's where you move to different paths. Yeah. Obviously, because King just didn't want to take me. But <laughs> it's fine. Story for another day. Story for another day. But I ended up in Radford. And I think uh for me, networking has always been very important. So mm-hmm. one one thing I, I, I always do is the fact is that I make friends with friends of my parents. I have some I have some friends, I'm closer to their parents, I'm closer to them. I should... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you make friends with the parents of my friends. Oh, okay. I heard you make friends with friends of your parents. No, no, no. <laughs> I also do that. Oh. Okay. But I, I always I, I was thinking of it like this. You're my friend, Emmanuel, mm-hmm. but your parents are paying for your livelihood right now. Yeah. So if you want to make money, mm-hmm. I shouldn't really know you. I should know the person who's paying for you to survive, right? Okay. So that, that was my thinking. So I usually make friends with the friends of my parents. That's Especially when I know they have they have they have valuables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things I can I can invest can benefit from. Yes, I can sort of suck it dry. So I usually make friends with them. The rich people in class, or the famous people in class, or the connected people in class. So, mm-hmm. for instance, in private college, I did the same thing, and I was able to make a lot of money because of that. I wasn't necessarily skilled at the time, but because I knew the right people, I would always get into the door. And one insight is that I realized that really valuable people don't have the time to go and search for who is good. They stick to who they know. Who they know. So if you're in a so if you're in a circle, mm-hmm. they'll most likely just stick to you. And I wouldn't have the time to go looking for the best person who does it. So, um, I mean, for every creative, when you're starting out, you want to be the best or you want to be the most skilled. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the most skilled won't get you as as much money as being the most known, especially mm-hmm. when it comes into the circles. Right? So, for me, that was that was really important. And the university, was at that time, I was fully conscious of, of how beneficial it would be to have a good network. So then I was so strategic about making sure that my head department was like my closest friend and so today she's a mentor to the company i've started mm-hmm. she I, I give her reports of what i'm up to i ask her for advice when it comes to hiring and even firing when it comes to dealing with certain clients she gives me jobs she recommends me she helps me grow and it was virtually because when people were trying to run away from their hod's because they are top bosses yeah i was trying to make friends with my hod trying to get into her private life see what how if your hod is very scary well uh like somebody i know I think that's, that's, that's hard to say. I, I said I'm lucky that my HOD was quite friendly. Okay. But on the contrary, there are people in my class who found it very scary. So I really think it depends on mm. the lens in which you're judging. Perspective. By. I've learned to break down really difficult people in my life. Mm. In fact, I have very difficult clients. And I've learned to break down that difficult barrier that makes them appear to be the way. I think here in Ghana, bosses demand respect. 
and they feel like if they are not intimidating, they might not be getting that respect. Yeah. I try to wear my way through that barrier and get to see them for who they are so you can connect mm. on that level. So my lecturers, my HODs, they were my closest buddies. So, I mean, it gave me the privilege to do certain things in school, like skip class or not go to school, <laughs> just take a gig of a class or go and do those things. But it was important that I made friends with them and friends with my parents and mm-hmm. friends with the parents of my friends. So, an example was when I was having my thesis project, I needed to interview some families. Mm-hmm. And it was so easy for me because most of the fa- friends of my parents were my friends and they were able to help out. Interesting. And there were free models and free uh, extras for my, for yeah. my short film uh, documentary slash social experiments, and it was great. So I think your network is your is your network. And on to that, after I graduated, I started my, my main my actual agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I realized that it's even much more. It's it's more than how it sounds, right? Because um, there's this popular saying that says you are only one person away from a thousand people. And that person mm-hmm. is another step away from a million people. You get it. So knowing just one person opened mm-hmm. up my, my uh, network to a lot of other people. A typical example was I had a friend who linked me up with a gig. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't want to go because he was too busy. Or I think he felt it wasn't too important. Yes. So I was like, oh, that's fine. I mean, I'm trying to do something. So I'm, I'm bored. I went there. I met somebody. Mm-hmm. That person was an architect. And he saw the way I was running the show. I was like, hey, you, you, you look very serious. I have some projects that I think we can work on. And he's like, have you shot architecture before? And being my confidence, I was like, oh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I haven't done architecture before. Interesting. So like, like, come to my office. So I, I go to this guy's office. And his, his office is like, I think so far, is the nicest architecture office I've seen mm-hmm. in the country so far. I've been to a lot. And his has the, the most quirkiest look, I guess. It was really amazing. In the, yes, in Accra. It's at the, it's sold now. Oh, okay. But it was at an um, ability. Um, no, no, Adrengalo, rather. Yes, okay. it was at It was really awesome. One day the man was like, So can I see some of the stuff you've done? I'm like, oh, you think you should have asked? Most of them are um, on my computer, which of course is a lie. But <laughs> I saved myself. I told him that, well, I have my camera here. I can shoot your building. So you can use that as an example. Mm. I mean, you live here all the time. So if, I, if I can show you the building in a new way, I'm definitely sure you you would agree because if I have to show you pictures anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, I've gotten them from anywhere. How do you know that I was the one who made them? But that was me trying to find a way to create my portfolio on the spot. Interesting. So I grabbed my camera. I told him that the best time to take pictures was to do it at dawn or at sunset. And he's like, okay, cool. That's, that's arranged. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do the sunset one today mm-hmm. and the other one at dawn. So by morning, we are sitting and having a conversation. You look at the difference. So I did that. He was amazed. And it worked on. We worked for about two years from there, created lots of content for him before we sort of parted ways. And, and through him, I met another person. Mm-hmm. And that person is like one of my major clients right now. We've been working together for almost six and a half years. And it was because of just that one person. And she has also opened my clientele to a whole lot of other people. So just because yeah, I took that, that one call. That's a very like, interesting point mm-hmm. because even in our business as well we find that sometimes you work for this one person mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not even them who recommend you but it's like for some weird lack of some algorithm they get a chance to see your work because they are affiliated with that person and yes. then they hit you up and they're like blah 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 and then 
sometimes they haven't even seen the work he did for them and you show them that and they're like oh you're the guys who did this for this guy ah, oh yeah then, then it, it feels like it feels almost like um what do they call that thing serendipity right okay but in actual fact it's like because you know this guy you've entered into their circles and because there are certain systems or algorithms or stuff put in place they have seen that and then they get exposed to you and then you know that's yeah, that goes into that's absolutely my story. Yeah, and even to today, I'll say that ninety percent of my clients came through that that particular line, mm-hmm. not that 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 type, that specific line, that one event I went to to meet mm-hmm. that one man who connected me to that one woman, and that one woman was like a spider net who connected to me. Every almost ninety percent of the people I work with now it was mm-hmm. just from that one woman, and Instagram or all those other things. I can't really say has really helped. I mean, it's, it's there when I want to feel good about myself because, I mean, getting <laughs> appreciated from other people yeah. in the world feels good. But when it comes to putting money in my pocket, I would say it was basically just that network, networking with that right person. So it was amazing. And this 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 case, Christ, a bit more specific in the sense that that person never really shares the work. Mm-hmm. You get it. So it was difficult to, to get into contact with that person's network. Because she never really shares the work. But she actually goes to people to tell them that this person did it for me, he'll do it for you. Like yeah. legit. So like straight word like of mouth. Straight word of mouth, straight to the point. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. Next next month, next two months will be our our city here mm-hmm. working together. And that relationship has grown to become something very beautiful. So your network and your net worth, shall I get the same thing? It's mm-hmm. crazy. So listening to you narrate the whole story like one thing that i'm hearing even from the beginning is you have to in as much as knowing how to do the right job is super important you kind of did it in reverse whereby you found a way to like get into the spaces of the right people before justifying even to yourself that you would be able to do the work yes anyways because it's like once they know you, they trust you. They are not looking for anything extraordinary. No, that, no. That, I think that's one thing us creatives tend to worry about mm-hmm. a lot. What that like that it has to be first and then get the Yeah, because I mean, even in school, that's what they teach us. Like you yeah. have to everybody is trying to get ahead of the class, be the best student and everything. And you find that after you're done with school, you are like the most serious students, but you know nobody. Exactly. And it now becomes a burden on you to like where do i start how that was I, exactly how my case my... because me like honestly i had been a bad student all my life i wasn't mm. any new you look like a bad student oh, <laughs> I, I wasn't a newcomer to not being the brightest in the class and i wasn't mm. a newcomer to not being the smartest or, or the most recognized so I, I had to figure another way out to mm. get what i wanted so okay. even in, even in uni I, I would barely go to class because i didn't really see the point most yeah. of the time, I actually used to convince me to just go to the process and finish it. And I would always argue that I'm not getting it or I don't see the relevance of what they're teaching or we are too far behind or I feel like there are other things. So one of my favorite classes was um, contract law because I knew that it was crazy. I wanted to see somebody and I was so interested in the class. Interestingly uh, enough, <laughs> for my batch, I think not a lot of people really enjoyed that course. 
I mean, for me, I I thought it was interesting because uh-huh. we were learning something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your thesis project was on something around that, right? Yeah, I mean, it was linked to something yeah, like that, yeah. but like, it's it's something that is very important to well, know yeah, about truly. contracts, um, taxes, all these mm-hmm. things that like all of us like to run away from. Yeah, I mean, it's not catered so, enough, so. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm here to learn how to yeah, yeah, yeah. to like article five one six B of whatever like Bap. yeah so yeah. I so I think that was that that was one different um, thing for me. So and I sort of became a learner of anything from anyone. So I wasn't really looking to my lectures to teach me anything. You know, I was sort of looking to the world. So people would come to class to focus on the lecture. Mm-hmm. I would be seeing him as just one source of learning that day, and there's so much more. So mm-hmm. it never was a, a it never was really a stopping point for me. It was only like just one strand of a huge tree or one branch of a huge tree where I could just get knowledge from. But there's so so much more. So that that helped me open up my mind to the other possibilities of not just getting stuck in that small square mm-hmm. of a classroom. So uh, I was looking at other things that I because I mean I knew that if my lecture was teaching illustration, there were mm-hmm. hundred million people more that I could, I could get up. Yeah. But things like contract laws were very specific to where you are. Mm. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't really find a YouTuber talking about Ghana contract laws. Yeah, but my exactly. lecture was all in Ghana, in, in like practice and um, IP, intellectual property in Ghana, mm-hmm. and administration and trademarks and things in Ghana. So that knowledge was something that I couldn't find online. So I had to be serious. But how to use Photoshop and illustration, and I could find yeah. it too. So yeah. I was more focused on the ones I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. And I was paying attention to them than the ones I could find online. That's, that's interesting. And another thing I also find interesting about like the whole story you just mentioned was like the point about creating your portfolio on the spot. Ah, yes. that's sort of like um should I say a very different approach to elevator pitch yourself? <laughs> it's yes. like yeah, I can do this, and here it is. I think is it just me or it takes a special skill to be able to come up with such ideas on the spot? Because hmm. I, for me, I, I can't imagine myself in that situation and thinking through that fast enough to save myself from something like that. From something like that. Hmm, let me see. Well, it's hard to see. I wouldn't hmm. say it's a special skill, right? Uh, but what I can see is that... Um, I'm sure you are capable. I'm sure you are you are aware mm-hmm. that you are capable of doing certain things you've not done before. Yes. But you know so short, like you know so much that you can achieve them. Yes. The difference is you haven't had the opportunity. Yes. And I mean you can't just make your own opportunity. You get it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't get your own client gig to show to the client. What people will do is they'll make mock-up projects mm-hmm. and they'll present it. But that's only if you're so sure that that is the line of work you're looking for. Mm-hmm. For me, that wasn't the line of work I was looking for. I didn't even know he was going to talk about architecture. It happened to be architecture. And I was like, okay, now I just work on it. So for me, whenever I knew I can do something, mm-hmm. I tried to create an opportunity for myself to do it. Mm. And the fact that I've not done it before doesn't really mean that I can't do it. Yeah, but the, the way you said it, the way you put it, right? I mean, for me, me for example, yeah. imagine myself in that situation. I would have probably said something along the lines of, I haven't done this before, but like, I'm 100% sure I can do this. And depending on who the person on the receiving end is, could take that as, uh, okay, let me give you the shot. Or, you know, by you were like, oh yeah, I have, but like, those are past stuff. Let me show you right here, right now. Uh, so like, the, 
their their ability to be able to come up with something like that. I mean, no, but I don't think anybody would would um, turn down that offer to see what you can do for them, like on the spot. Oh well. Now that you mentioned it, I'm beginning to think of it that way. I'm trying to see why that happened. I think the closest connection I can make is, you see, usually back in the days, you get jobs and the person would be like, eh, do this and let me see if it's nice. Mm. And then if it's nice, I'll pay for it. Mm. I mean, back then, we were a bit naive that uh, well, we all saw that as an opportunity anyway. Mm-hmm. But I mean, right now, somebody tells you that, you, you probably tell the person to flip off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. then, back, but back then, it was like an opportunity. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, I know I can do it, so let me just show you. Yeah. So I think it was with the same thinking, right? But mm-hmm. just at this time, the difference was I didn't have anything to show. Mm. And even if I had gone home, I, I still wouldn't have anything to show. Okay. And I had noticed that people would sort of rule that as being incompetent or as they rule it as um, using that as a way to cut down your pricing. Mm-hmm. Because you're new, they would yeah. feel like they're the first to give you the opportunity. Therefore, yeah, exactly. you have to cut half of the price. And I wasn't willing to let that thing affect my pricing because I was so confident I could mm-hmm. do it. You just happened to be the first one to ask me to do it. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'll say it's a lie. It's a, it's a straight lie. But in my mind, I've done it so many times. So it wasn't a lie to me. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was a reality waiting to happen. Yeah. So I created that reality mm-hmm. and it happened. And the person couldn't tell. I mean, I couldn't tell I was, I was a newbie. The only I mean, if anybody sees those images, I don't think they'll be able to, like, I wouldn't be I mean, to, you've yeah. seen those images. Yeah, it's like, that's your first, are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know, it, it's this wooden building, it looks like, it's called the Ark, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wooden structure, mm-hmm. it has this little helipad on the ground, I'm sure you've seen it before. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you've seen it, but that was my very first architecture shot, it was just... It was just that. And it's like everything else after that has been like just straight. Everything after that has just been because I knew that. I mean, there were some few things I learned I learned on the job. Like when you're shooting for an interior designer, it's mm-hmm. totally different from shooting from an architect. Okay. An interior designer would want the place to look huge and big. Mm. And they don't care about distortions. They care about it looking very artistic. But an, uh, an architect would hate if your lines are distorted. They don't mm. want distorted lenses. He would mm-hmm. rather have you have you use zero distorted lenses or shoot in a really symmetrical way okay. so they can show the technique or the engineering behind the building. Mm-hmm. But an um, interior designer would want you to show the artistry behind the building. And those okay. are very different things that you, you wouldn't know unless you've done it. Mm-hmm. You get it. So but along the way, those things I learned. But the main thing was just I think it's just mere confidence. Interesting. Mere confidence. It's your you're starting here, building. Oh, confidence in the room here. <laughs> so Interesting. So um, now moving on to like the next or final points. I'm seeing this whole topic or this subject in like two main, you know, sections in that there's one part of it where it speaks about, you know, the network who bring you the money, <laughs> who bring you the connects, who get you into the right spaces and the other side which is your network as your friends or the people you surround yourself with or the okay. people you spend your most time mm-hmm. with because i find that sometimes when i go outside my circle to have certain conversations that i feel like everybody should know about this why don't you know about this to mm-hmm. set some kind of people then you begin yeah. to realize you've been living in a totally different well, world your whole life that there's this whole other mm-hmm. you know world of people 
who exist outside your circle. I understand you. Yeah, so like, how how do you, I guess my question would be like, how do you balance these two? Yeah, I think I didn't talk about that mm-hmm. side of the network being your network. Yeah, I only yeah. focused on the outgoing one. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you, your most immediate circle is mm-hmm. also your network, right? Yeah. Because there's this popular thing that says you are the average of the five closest friends. Yeah, and you exactly. also make two to three and a thousand to two thousand dollars difference mm-hmm. among your five closest friends. Yeah. So you're like the center, which mm-hmm. means the people you surround yourself with will actually influence you physically, mentally, emotionally, even when it comes to religion or belief systems. Yeah. So for me, I'm very grateful to have maybe people like yourself, mm-hmm. like Daniel and other people in our mm-hmm. lives that has really helped me understand certain things. Like you mentioned, you can be in a crowd and we're talking about, like, I don't watch soccer. I don't watch soccer. So <laughs> when I enter a conversation with the football, I just go crazy. Like, yes, uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I meet people mm-hmm. when you're talking about anime, yeah. oh, Tyler, fighting on the next big move or on somebody's anime style mm-hmm. or somebody's name and how the name links to sound. Like, you're always so energetic. And mm-hmm. especially when it comes to, um, if I have to bring the Bible in it, they'll say, I am Shaken Zion. Yes. Right. And I think it's absolutely true. Because every time you're around people who are like yourself and people who think like you, mm-hmm. you are able to become smarter yeah. at a relatively short time. Because you already consider them to be peers. You already consider them to be equals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't filter what they say. Yeah. So if they say anything that's profound, you would act on it rather faster than hearing it from an outsider. Yeah. An outsider, you process the thing for a really long time before you mm-hmm. decide to pursue. Yeah. And when your friends suggest it for you, it's easier to jump from like zero to just you and just start doing it and it will work for you. I think yeah. that is really important. And then when you surround yourself with people who are like yourself, mm-hmm. it's easy for you to ask for help, especially when you are down. Because everyone is always thinking about the, the big picture, the future, where you're all dope, you're all riding your dope cars, yeah. your houses and your workers and shit like that. I mean, everyone is always on the big side. But the moment, like the part where you realize your closest friends are really there for you, it's when you're actually down. Yeah. You've lost the gig, you've messed up with the client, mm-hmm. or so you are down, and they told you that, hey, man, it's okay. I mean, sometimes they go laugh you first. Yeah, like, they go laugh you first. <laughs> like, they go laugh you, but I mean, like, on a more serious note, we've all been there. And yeah. sometimes you can't put it, they let you feel good about it. I mean, Charlie, forget about it. We all screw up sometimes. Yeah. Let's make sure that the next time we don't do it again. And those type of times, it's where you really realize that when you're a good community, even if you're not benefiting any different, that, that safe space that we create for you, yeah. it's really good for a creative person to thrive. Because there's always so much happening in your mind. I have a friend who's, who always says that in his mind is like constant explosions of nuclear bombs. <laughs> <laughs> so every time... He's always been bombarded with new things, mm-hmm. and that information overload makes him go like makes, makes him have a frenzy. But whenever mm-hmm. he's around people like himself, and he has to talk about those crazy ideas, the reception he gets it just it just suits him down. It's mm-hmm. like they get it. Yes. But when he's in the wrong environment, he's talking about he's always a crazy one. Exactly. And he can literally see his ears feel like Shrek. <laughs> so he likes to be around people who are yeah. like himself because he can he can just exuberate all that crazy th- things he's thinking. And most of the time, it's not even crazy. I mean, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've thought about that before. But exactly. about a random person, Nadine. <laughs> yeah, so that, that brings me to, I was having this conversation with, um, I think it was Eldad. Um, <laughs> sometime early last two years or late last two years, getting into 2020, right? Mm. We didn't know Corona was going to happen. Oh, we were all discussing <laughs> our goals for the next year, blah, blah, blah. 
and I think there were a couple of other friends. There was Susa around. There was yeah, and some a couple of other guys who were all discussing you know financial goals and all those mm-hmm. things. And we're dropping some numbers. You understand? And to be very honest, the numbers we were dropping, I I I could tell that all of us were speaking out of sheer you know passion and determination mm-hmm. and the firm believes in ourselves that this is, this is going to be very easy to pull off without even thinking about the mechanics right but then he brought up this thing and he was like after the conversation he went to some other friends and we were talking and he dropped similar numbers and they were like yeah but like how are you going to do this like mm-hmm. you are too young to even be thinking of making these numbers and uh... then guess what fast forward and then he came back and he was like this little voice in his head giving him a little bit of self-doubt that maybe this he's, is he's overreaching. Yeah, maybe it's too crazy. I was like, uh, these numbers are even, you know, small. And I think he went to go speak with his boss as well. His boss was like, you should even double it. Mm. You understand? And fast forward, he made more than that, even in the middle of the pandemic, and he got married. Um, yeah, congratulations on that. <laughs> you and your beautiful wife. We got married and you know he's He's not balling, but like he's living a yeah, little bit above average. He's comfortable. He's, you know, working, taking his company to new heights and all that. So I think I definitely feel that like sometimes you discuss certain ideas with certain people and mm-hmm. you feel like, yeah, wrong circle. You have to protect yourself from people like that. I mean, yeah, I don't blame them. Uh, money, money is a very difficult thing to talk about in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So it has this sense True. of taboo. Or has this sense of like it's private matters, like oh, it's almost as if you're talking about your marriage, you see, or like, sex. Yes, or sex, definitely or sex. So this like one of those things. But me, I I don't really have that sentiment. The more you talk about it, the easier it's going to make them. Mm-hmm. So we are getting really comfortable with big figures. Like when we were starting charging really low, mm-hmm. I started my first gig. Like like my first photography gig, I charged eight hundred cities. <laughs> I had never done it before. Like on yeah. my first time. And it's I, like once you mention like. <laughs> Okay, like, oh wow, okay, maybe I can go higher. Yeah, right? so from then, there, from there, people like, hey, Charlie, but you all started. The person I started with, he charged like 80 CDs for the same like, gig. Mm. But I was like, I just added one zero. <laughs> I was like, I mean, come on, you get it. So I think uh, money money is a very difficult conversation, but if you have uh, the right people, mm-hmm. they make the impossible feel possible. Yeah. And even if you're just saying it out loud, or you're just saying it on the top of your head, I mean, creative people, you're very, you're highly imaginative. So yeah. we tend to sort of think about the big picture before we find the mechanical behind mechanism. it, just like you said. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing because it helps you to make sense out of the world. Like when you have a goal, it's easy for you to discover the trail to that goal. Exactly. And when you're trying to make the trail and discover the goal at the same time, you're chasing two rabbits. I don't think you can catch them. Hmm. That's deep. That's just normal. That's just normal. But then whatever works for you. I've mm. I've seen people who've been who've been very realistic mm-hmm. and it has been good for them. But I'm not a fan of living a realistic life because I mean we all know that this reality we're living is not what we want. So yeah. I rather pull the abstract into the reality. Yeah, and I think that's that's one thing that I feel can also be linked to this topic is that the whole subject of exposure. Mm-hmm. And if you're among the right people, they expose you yeah, they expose to the right them. things. Open, and it's like mind. you can only see as far as your imagination, and your imagination can also only see as far as what you think is possible. Yeah. And if you haven't seen what is possible, you can't imagine 
a lot of other things. So I mean, I think that's it. You just yeah. said it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's what yeah. you say. Traveling makes you rich. Exactly. Because <laughs> when you see so many things, you begin to realize, yeah. I mean, people here in Ghana have like have spent so much money on their kids to just study outside the country mm-hmm. for a very specific reason because they get to have an open mind to see what's what's possible. Mm-hmm. But here, there's this um documentary I did for this lady, and she mentioned something I'll never forget. So what she said was, in Ghana, the kids are raised to be seen but not heard, and mm-hmm. I didn't understand at the time. But I later got to realize what she was trying to say. She was basically trying to say that we are raised in a box and we are asked to stay in that box. Mm-hmm. So that way you don't want to sort of question or try and discover. Your curiosity is, is killed when, when you're very little. So you're not allowed to explore and see what's possible. You're only yeah. allowed to, to be seen, to look at what is there and emulate that. Yeah, That's why you that, can't without asking any without asking any questions. You should, you're like a mindless robot just following the trend just to be good. Mm-hmm. And that's that that's it for most people. Until you become a rebel and you want to be heard and you want to ask questions and you want to question the norms and you want to be like, what's why is this this way? I want to go the other way. I don't I don't like this. And then people be like, hey, what's weird guy guy? Are you too low? Like <laughs> yeah. Charlie. All that sucks, but Charlie. Yeah. But I mean once the, the other thing too is once you do it and they see what people call like overnight success, success. then people begin to think, oh okay. This thing works. Let me also go do some. Yes, and that's where and the, then, the small Ghanaian lifestyle of copycats will come in. Like you go to the junction in Indomie, the next one Indomie, Indomie, Indomie. <laughs> <Like>, you understand? <laughs> then it becomes a thing of okay, which one is closest to me? Let me just buy. Let me just buy that one here because it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. So I think this it's been a very insightful conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could drop one last line so that we can sign out, like something if you could. Tell the audience one last thing before we go. Um, I think uh, it's it's hard because like there's so many things in my mind, mm. but I think I'll I'll pick, I'll pick it from something you said. I think what you said to me yesterday on the day we spoke about this, you mm. were talking about like discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And creating mm-hmm. the creative space. And uh, yeah, I had a thought about it. I was thinking about it quite deeply. I was like, huh? Like what what does it mean to be to be disciplined as a creative person? And to me, it was, it was a very strange, it was a strange <laughs> word, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, one famous saying that people usually attach to creativity is to think outside the box. Yes. Like when you're trying to say someone is creative, oh, he thinks outside the box. That's like one famous phrase. And if you look at the word discipline, it's, it's actually to stay in a box, mm-hmm. right? To do things according to, to strict measurements and to specification yeah that is what discipline looks like to not reward yourself or to not allow yourself to do certain things okay. to be on top of yourself mm-hmm. and creativity is like to be outside of that box so it was very paradoxical like yeah. can a creative person be disciplined if to be disciplined <laughs> means to be to be boxed down mm-hmm. that means if you're creative you are naturally made to be undisciplined mm-hmm. and if you look around the world that is what you see yeah. That's why they, that's why you have the term crazy artist or yeah. crazy scientist because you're not allowed to be like that. That box does not exist in mm-hmm. your life. But to make money out of your creativity, mm-hmm. you have to have a box. Just that this time, this box is not made for you. You mm-hmm. create that box yourself. Exactly. So for most people, I would say that as much as you want to explore, you also have to create limitations for yourself. Okay. You have to know 
the confinements in which you're going to work. And those things will be the, 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 the foundation of your success. Sure, when you're growing, you can start creating different boxes. Mm-hmm. And what those boxes will do for you is they'll allow you to make sense out of the crazy world you have in your mind. So you can create a separate box to make money from filmmaking. You can create a separate box to make money from um, architecture, photography. You can create a box to make money from just copywriting or voiceovers or illustration or even just art direction, which is something I'm a topic for another time. Ghanaians are yeah. free <laughs> art direction. But they don't know. You're yeah. blue, you're blue. Yeah, so that's that. So I'll definitely say that though the box is very paradoxical to being created, it's also important for a creative person to develop some constraints in how they operate. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to thinking about money or making money out of their craft, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be done with emotions. You're supposed to put emotions aside and think like a tree. Very difficult thing to do. But Just yeah. go. Very it's very important. difficult, yeah. but it's doable. Very relevant. I yeah. mean, if a human being was able to figure out how a rocket can go to space and launch back, you can definitely figure out how to charge that client five times. <laughs> <laughs> the price will do the same thing. Yeah. So it's possible. And one last thing I'll I'll ask you you listening to think about is, I'm sure you have that one person in your life who will go and bring a gig and get 70% and you get 30. Meanwhile, he didn't lay a finger on the gig. And the person doesn't know a thing about what you're doing. But he's confident in you enough to go and bring you that Mm -hmm. gig. So if that person trusts you that much to bring you a gig that's worth $10,000 or 10,000 series or whatever, and he'll give you one, like 1,000 series out of that 10,000, what makes you think you... Are not worth that much money. The only difference is he's confident enough to go for that gig mm-hmm. and bring it to you to execute. Yeah. Now build that person's confidence, and next time go with that amount in mind and meet the right people, the right network, and build together much. I think that's that's the last thing that I'll say. Awesome. So I think we've said everything. Yes. There's a lot of you said a lot of tweetable quotes and <laughs> things people can use for t-shirts and <laughs> to inspire themselves. Um, but I think one last thing I also add is like, if in this world or in this life, you're not saying go and divorce all your friends or all that, but I mean, just as Josh said, you are the average of the five people yeah. you spend the most time with. So take a look at your close circle. Are they pushing you enough or are they even giving you enough peer pressure mm-hmm. or are they doing certain things that Positive make you peer pressure? Positive peer pressure, as I call it, you know, or are they doing certain things that make you feel jealous sometimes? If your answer to all these questions are no, then it means you have to relocate yourself. I mean, you, still, you could still keep other friends around for you know, friendship sakes, but like your close and your tight, your tightest circle should be like people who are better than you mm-hmm. most of times. Because yeah. if, if you are better than everybody else, then it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, everybody else has to have. A much bigger vision than you has to yeah. be better than you in some sense so that you know we steal ideas from each other we rub off each other and then we go so there's um, a course like that yeah. right that says if you are the best in the room then you're in the wrong room you're in the wrong room you see there so you go. if you realize you're the best in the circles you're definitely in the wrong circle because they pull you down yes and if you're the worst in the circle you have to double up because they will be looking to to, 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 to dismiss you. Yeah, to dismiss you. Exactly. So you always have to you you always have to be looking for the bigger picture so you can chase it. Awesome. The mountain is only as big as you can climb it. Nice mm-hmm. one. So this has been um this episode two. Yes, second episode, episode two of the Honestly I Don't Know podcast. This is a weird name, but I like Honestly, it. I don't know. <laughs> and 
I mean, we are not here as lecturers or like authorities or anything. We are just sharing our experiences and what we think has helped us and what could help, you know, other people also come up and be the best versions of themselves. So this has been um, myself, Emmanuel, and Joshua Cleopas. And yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. On the next episode, guys. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>